Does anybody really believe these inflation numbers that the government and the Federal Reserve are putting out? I don't. And that's because these inflation numbers are a lie. We're going to talk about that in this episode of Real Estate Revenue. Hey everybody, welcome to Real Estate Revenue. I'm your host, Paul Airy, and this is episode five, where we are going to talk about the lie of inflation. So which way do you think they're lying, up or down? Well, the answer is down. And... Here's why. Well, actually, this episode is about why, why or how. So every time uh, you see somebody talking about inflation on Fox Business or MSNBC or uh, stations like that, uh, business people who supposedly know what's going on in the world of finance uh, more than I know and more than most people know that are telling you that you know, we got nothing to worry about because inflation isn't nearly as bad as it was in 1980. Well, guess what? If you're going to compare inflation to the inflation rate of 1980, then you need to do the calculation the same way they did it in 1980. That's where the lie is. Here's what happened. So in 1980, we had, we were coming out of the Carter administration, into the Reagan administration, with double-digit inflation and double-digit interest rates, if I remember right. I even remember jokes about inflation rate on Saturday Night Live. Um, So at some point in every administration since then, they've decided to change the way inflation is calculated. Why would they do that? Well... They do it because it makes them look better, for one thing. Uh, If they change the way they calculate it and manipulate the calculation, manipulate their equation, their formula, to make the result lower, makes their administration look good. And both sides have done this. Republicans, Democrats, they've both done it. So when you see the... uh, Federal Reserve and the government, and uh, I say and because they are not the same thing. When you see them say that inflation is 3% or 4% or 5%, uh, they say it might go to 7%, that's really not the real number. That is not the real inflation rate. And then when they say it's transitory, are they lying about that? Well, probably not because... Inflation rates change, so whatever the rate is at the moment, it's transitory. It's going to change. So inflation rates are always temporary, no matter what they are. So I, you know, without uh, running the risk of being uh, mean and nasty, these people are a bunch of lying SOBs, and the general public is finally getting on to it. They're fin- finally uh, learning about this stuff. 
and it's going to catch up to them sooner or later, hopefully sooner. So how does this affect real estate? Well, that's one of the things we're going to get into here in just a minute on this episode. Uh, Inflation does affect real estate. How is it that we can have, right now they're saying we have 5.39% inflation at the time of this recording. How is that possible when we know that lumber has gone uh, gone up and come back down, went up as much as uh, 300%, 400%, it's come back down, uh, it's on its way down. Um, food prices have gone up, they've not come back down yet. Fuel prices have gone up, energy's gone up way more than 5%. So how is it they can say that inflation is only 5.39% when we know because of our bank accounts that it's more than that. Well, it's because they removed a lot of those items from their inflation uh, calculation. That's where the lie is. They just removed those inconvenient things that everyone has to buy to live. So... Uh, if we calculated the way we did in 1980, uh, everybody's worried about being at level 1980 levels. Well, guess what? We are already there. Uh, if you go to a website called shadowstats.com, a guy there that runs that site, John Williams, he puts up data based on 1980 and 1990 calculations so that you can see both of those different calculations that are different from today, and he compares them to today's numbers. You can see for yourself how those numbers are different. So right now on the shadowstats.com site, when the government and the Federal Reserve is saying we have 5.39% inflation, if you go on that site, it is 13.5%. That is a far cry from 5%. We are at 1980 levels. It is just as bad as 1980. That is where inflation is. So when they tell you, and these people on these news shows, these people on Fox Business and CNBC and MSNBC, they know what they're talking about. They know that they're lying. They know the lie. They're not stupid. But they don't want things to look as bad. They want to report on the stock market. That's all they care about stock market. They don't care about food prices and uh, uh, the cost of living, the overall cost of living. They care about the markets. So they will perpetuate that lie. Whether they do that in some kind of agreement with the government, I doubt. I think it just suits their agenda better to perpetuate that lie. And um, they're not doing anybody any favors, believe me. So the government changes the calculation, the way they calculate it. They change the method to make it look lower. Now, why would they do that? Well, first of all, one of the very few things that the government does well is lie. They are extremely good at coming up with ways to lie to the American people. And it's not just the American government. Every government on earth is doing that, and um, and they're good at it. They've had a lot of practice at it. They have people that sit around and figure out how to do that. So 
But why would they do that? Why would they lie about the inflation rate? Well, here's some reasons. One, it makes them look better. It makes the current administration look like they've got things under control. Here's another reason. This is probably the big reason. One of the biggest government benefits is tied to cost of living. And that's Social Security. When the cost of living goes up, everybody that's on Social Security gets a cost of living increase. Well, what do you think happens if the inflation rate is underreported, if it's less than half of what the real inflation rate is? They don't have to pay you as much money out of the Social Security, which, by the way, was your money to begin with. They get to keep more of it and not pay out as much so that Social Security takes longer to go bankrupt. So that's probably the biggest reason right there. The cost of living increases for Social Security don't happen the way they should. They're a lot lower than they ought to be. So the cost of a lot of items are tied to the consumer price index. Uh, and this is where the inflation calculation comes from. So does this affect real estate? Does inflation affect real estate? Well, yeah, it does, not just in prices. Uh, so here's one way that it affects it that most people may not think about. Suppose you have uh, a rental property. Say you own a retail center. And you have several tenants in this retail center. And their lease is coming due and inflation is at 10% and it's gone up quite a bit over the last year or two from, or maybe the last five years from when they signed their lease, it's gone up a lot. Maybe it's doubled or tripled. A lot of commercial leases, when the renewal comes due, when they have to renew their lease, some of those renewals are a flat increase in rent, maybe 10%. Some of them are based on the consumer price index. And it might be the consumer price in index plus a percentage. So inflation will increase their rent more than it would have if we hadn't had inflation. So... If you have, if you're tied to the consumer price index, this little lie might help you out if you're a tenant. If you're not tied to the consumer price index for your lease renewal, you might have a really large increase in rent at the end of your lease. If you don't have a renewal option, uh, the landlord can increase the rent to whatever he needs to. And if it's, uh, if we're having, 13 or 14% inflation, and there's no sign of it going away anytime soon, he's probably going to raise the rent that much to cover inflation. Maybe a little more to stay ahead of inflation. And it's not because he's greedy. It's because that's what he has to do to stay in business. Uh, that's what the landlord has to do to keep from going broke. So uh, you don't want the landlord to lose money because if he loses money and he goes broke, what happens to your... Uh, your retail space that you're leasing from him. So that's one way that inflation can affect real estate investing. Another way is in cost of construction. Uh, if you want to build something new, um, 
you might want to wait. You might not want to do that now or find a different way to do it. Uh, cost of building materials go up. When inflation goes up, everything the cost of everything goes up. Cost of building materials is going to go up because the cost of manufacturing those building materials, the natural resources that goes into them, the shipping, the stocking on the shelves, all the labor cost, it's all going to have to go up because inflation goes up, because everybody's having to pay more for everything. So the replacement cost on a building is going to be higher. So what else goes up? Well, when your material costs go up, labor goes up, sales taxes will go up. The rate may not go up, but you're going to be paying more sales taxes because when you go buy the building materials, you have to pay sales tax on that material, and if it costs you more, the tax is higher. So right now, as far as home prices, we don't talk a lot about uh, residential real estate on this show because it's uh, about commercial real estate investing, but um, it will have an effect on commercial real estate. Uh, Housing prices, people are getting priced out of the housing market because the, the price of houses has skyrocketed in the last year. Uh, it's on its way up. It's going to eventually, uh, we've got a bubble. It's going to eventually pop. And it's going to come down. But uh, right now, it's high. There's people that can't afford to buy right now. So they rent or they stay where they're at. If they own a smaller house, and they stay where they are. Um, but uh, creates a demand for rental properties. And that could be houses, could be apartments. Now, when the prices do come down, and they will, they can come down too fast. And we have 2008 happening all over again. That can be good and can be bad. It's going to be bad for people that are stuck with these overpriced properties, these people that have been buying and paying 100000 over appraised value for a house because they think they need to get in now while they can because the price is never coming back down. They said that in 2006 and 2007. And everybody told, every, there were people out there saying, no, you're wrong, it's going to crash, and they you know, these buyers thought these people were crazy. They said, oh, the price is never going to come down. Real estate never comes down. It does come down. It runs in cycles. It's about a 10-year cycle. And sometimes it comes down a little bit. Sometimes it crashes and comes down a lot like it did in 08. And when that happens, there are people there waiting to buy up those properties. And if you have cash... When the crash happens, that's where you want to be. You want to be standing there waiting to buy up those properties. They could be houses. They could be apartments. They could be office buildings, retail centers, industrial properties, whatever. One one of the uh, few types of properties that survive real estate crashes uh, without they come through unscathed, basically, are self-storage units, uh, self-storage facilities. Um, all these people that uh, lose their house and they have to move into an apartment or a rent house and they go, they downsize. They got a lot of garbage, a lot of crap that they've bought over the years. And uh, uh, all that stuff they bought with that credit card debt that I talked about in the last episode, well, they got to put it somewhere. It won't all fit in their apartment. So now they got to put it in storage. Well, the storage facilities, uh, they just don't go broke usually. Uh, they have like a 98% success rate, which is huge. 
That's that's really a very safe commercial real estate investment. But you know what? When uh, everybody starts putting their stuff in storage, guess what? Supply and demand kicks in. The price of storage units are going to go up, which is great for the person that owns the storage facility. Uh, not that big of a deal for the tenant who rents the space because if it if a storage space goes up 10% or 20%, you're talking about maybe a 10 to $20 a month increase. It's not that big a deal. Uh, but it, when you multiply that by, uh, you know, two or 300 units that you have in a, in a self storage facility, that's a lot of extra money for the owner. And, um, but you know, supply and demand, uh, all of these things that are triggered by inflation, uh, all the supply and demand issues, all the shipping issues, the labor cost issues, sales tax, all of those are going to come together. I mean, all these things increase all at the same time, all because of inflation. And when the government is lying to you about it, they are not doing anybody any favors except themselves. They are doing that to protect them, not you. So the next time somebody tells you, oh, we only have 5% inflation, just look at them and say, that's a lie. It's, it's 13.5%. It's not 5%. And then tell them why, because now you know. Uh, tell them to go look at shadowstats.com. Tell them to have a look at why it's calculated in a different method than they did in, in 1980. And uh, challenge them to prove you wrong. They can't do it because you're not wrong. That's how it's done, and that's, that's, that's what happened to the inflation. That's why we've never had double-digit inflation again since 1980 uh, or since the 90s. They've they've changed it, and they've cheated the system, and the government will never show double-digit inflation again. If they do, we're in some serious trouble because if if they're showing double-digit inflation, think what we've really got. If you go back and do the 1980 calculation, uh, if they show 10%, we've got 20%. Or more. Uh, that's, I believe, in hyperinflation territory, and we don't want that. That's that's uh, that's probably about as bad as we could ever get. So that's it for this week. I uh, hope it wasn't too much of a downer for you, but I want you to be aware of what's really going on. Uh, it can affect your investments, and uh, I the intent is not to steer you away from real estate. The intent is to make you cautious about it. Uh, there's timing involved in real estate investments. That's something that's almost impossible to teach. Uh, timing and intuition are very difficult, uh, traits to teach somebody. You have to develop that. And, uh, one way to develop it is to look at history, look at how things happened in the past 50 years, uh, with the economy. Uh, it's, it's, um, and also look at the history of your market, Different markets are extremely different. And I guess before I uh, end this episode, I want to tell you about that. Uh, My wife and I used to live in the Permian Basin area, and that was our investment market. So we did really well out there, and a lot of investors do do very well in the Permian Basin because of all the oil and gas companies. And uh, uh, there's a huge demand for industrial properties and office space out there. 
And because of that, all the growth, you know, there's, I mean, there's demand for any commercial property. So their economy runs counter, it runs counter to the rest of the country in general. So when the economy's up and the rest of the country is down there and when, you know, vice versa. So, uh, and it's tied mostly to the price of oil. So when the price of oil goes down, uh, things start shutting down out there. Companies that you think are safe, that are strong, financially strong, can disappear overnight. And that that's happened a lot in the last few years. Um, but here's the thing. So you have to time that right. And uh, we started construction on an industrial property in 2014. And about a month after we started construction, we were too far into it to stop. Uh, OPEC decided they were going to push the price of oil down. So it went down from about $100 a barrel to, I don't know, I can't remember now. I think it was $30, $40 a barrel. So we thought we might be in some serious trouble. And our initial plan anyway was to build this property, put a tenant in it on as long a lease as we could get, and hold that property for two years and then sell it. Because holding a property out there, because of this uh, up and down economy out there, uh, you have to have uh, uh, some really deep pockets to do that because some of these properties, if you uh, uh, hold them when they're empty, you got some pretty large uh, mortgage payments to make. So we had a pretty large mortgage payment on this, this warehouse building we were building. But we were so fortunate that we found a company. It was an oil and gas, an oil field service company that was doing well. They were one of the few that were growing during the downturn. We put them in it for five years. About a year into it, they wanted to expand their office, and we had luckily planned for that ahead of time. We had an area above the office where we could add more office space. So we basically doubled their office space, increased their rent because of that, added two more years onto their lease. So when we hit the two-year mark, we decided it's time to sell because we're getting to that point where the economy can can drop in a heartbeat. It was coming back up and doing really well. Uh, the tenant had uh, even got gotten into a second building next door for their engine facility, their uh, maintenance facility. So they're expanding, adding land to their yard. Uh, and we got to thinking, you know, they're doing this a little too big and fast. Uh, they seem to be doing well, though. And, you know, their, their financials still look good. But you know what? We didn't trust the economy there. So we put it up for sale and we sold it. And uh, about two years later, their second building suddenly went empty. And what happened was uh, their biggest customer, which was 50% of their business, pulled out and took their business elsewhere. And uh, it wasn't too long after that, they finally uh, went into bankruptcy. and That building went empty that we used to own. But luckily, we sold it. And, uh, I mean, it's still a good building, still a good property. They'll find another tenant and put it in there. But uh, the people that bought it were more uh, uh, more suited to holding that property for a few months, paying a mortgage payment on it than we were. So uh, we were glad to have uh, gotten it sold. 
So that's an example of how timing is crucial in real estate investing. The problem with a crash that everyone knows is coming eventually, but nobody can time it, is knowing when to get in, when to get out. Um, so right now, uh, you know, we've sold properties and we're holding some cash and we're waiting. Uh, and you know what? It's almost impossible to time this uh, and be accurate with it. Um, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't, can't, I can't tell you how many people I've heard say there's going to be a crash and this is when it's going to happen. And they've all been wrong and everybody agrees there's going to be one, but I wouldn't even attempt to pick a date or a time uh, when I think it's going to happen. Uh, just have to be patient and wait. And when it happens, be ready to go. So be prepared. That's the whole thing. Be a, be a real estate prepper, I guess, is what, what I'm getting at. You know, be prepared to make your move and uh, put your cash into the real estate when you get the chance. And while you've got the cash, you know, put it in something safe, uh, gold, silver, uh, Bitcoin's fairly safe, cryptocurrencies, uh, just don't get too crazy with it. But, uh, you know, that's one of those things where you have to educate yourself on it before you do it. Uh, it's coming. So, you know, look at, look at the history, go back and read about 2008, look up stuff on that and what happened and how it happened. This one's probably going to be a lot worse than that. Worse for most people, better for investors because, you know, the worse, the, the worse the crash is, the better the investor climate after it's happened. So there's two ways to look at that. Some people are going to say, oh, you're a vulture. You know, you're just waiting around for, for people to go broke and take advantage of them. No, they're going to go broke anyway. There's always going to be, there are always going to be people that invest with their emotions and not their head and not their, not their, uh, uh, not their calculator. Those are the people that are going to lose. And somebody's got to be there to pick up the pieces. Uh, somebody's got to take over these properties, do something with them so that they just don't sit there and fall apart. Uh, in some cases, you can actually help the, the people that own the properties that are going to lose it help them uh, prevent them from losing it, help them get out of it. So they save their, their part of their finances, save their credit, you know? Um, so no, we're not vultures. Uh, it has to be done. And if it has to be done, I'm going to be there to do it. Uh, you should be there to do it. So uh, somebody's got to pick up the pieces and that should be us. So that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. Thanks for tuning into these episodes. I hope you get something out of it. And uh, if you have any suggestions at all uh, for topics, uh, go to my YouTube channel, Real Estate Revenue, and uh, look at that and leave me some comments somewhere in one of the videos and and uh, give me some ideas if you want to if you have a question or something and we can talk about it either in, on a YouTube video or in the podcast. And I'll see you next week on the next episode.